0: This is the Indigo Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, for Thursday, March 31st, 2022. This week's Indigo Mac Podcast security headlines include some warnings about newly discovered malware and a Chrome family vulnerability. The mystery behind automatic iOS updates taking so long to update automatically appears to be solved. But the solution raises a few more questions. News site subscriptions, streaming subscriptions, software subscriptions, iPhone subscriptions. Apple's going there and we have some details. And our look at universal control, a new feature in the newest Mac OS. Now, here are the hosts of the Indigo Mac podcast. Veteran Mac journalist, Kirk McElhern. And Indigo's chief security analyst, Josh Long. Good morning Josh,
1: how are you today? I'm doing well, how are you Kirk? I'm doing just fine. This is our last podcast for the month of March.
2: Oh yeah, that's true. <laughs>
1: Spring has <laughs> sprung... well, I mean it's being released on the last day of March, so that makes exactly. sense. Exactly. We've got malware and that's not an April fool and it's called gimmick that's the name of the malware gimmick? Yeah, th- this is kind of interesting.
2: So there's some malware that seems to have some relationship with some existing Mac malware. We have Dazzle Spy and Macma that have been discovered earlier. Dazzle Spy, we we talked about several weeks ago. Both of these have been attributed to the same cyber threat actor. People say that this is probably a Chinese threat actor. And now this gimmick malware shares... Some code that has been found in those other pieces of Mac malware. So there's a possibility that this malware could be connected with that. One thing that's kind of interesting about this malware is that it actually does have an uninstall command on the command line. So if you know that you're infected with it, theoretically you could run the uninstall command. But of course, it's probably not the best to uh trust the malware makers <laughs> to fully uninstall and to not do other
1: bad things if you're trying to uninstall it, but that is built into this malware. It seems that this is serious enough that Apple has actually added signatures for this malware to its built-in malware protection tool on the Mac called XProtect.
2: Yeah, this is one of those very rare circumstances where Apple actually knew about some malware before most of the you know antivirus industry knew about it. And this is one of the problems that we've observed in the past with Apple is that they do not communicate with anybody in the antivirus industry. So the vast majority of the time, Everybody else finds and detects stuff before Apple has ever noticed that some malware exists. Every once in a while, Apple will put a signature in there that everyone just kind of scratches their head. Everyone in the antivirus industry scratches their head, looks at and goes, "Okay, I have no idea what that is. And this is one of those cases where recently there was an X-Protect update. Apple added their own signatures for this. They didn't communicate with anybody else and just kind of stuck it in there. And so this company called Velexity had apparently been communicating with Apple about this. They had found it. They talked to Apple. Apple blocked it. Velexity ended up writing a blog post about it and revealing some additional details about it that made it possible for people elsewhere in the the antivirus industry to be able to find it. And it's kind of a messy situation. And this is really something where everybody in the antivirus community wants to have an open dialogue with Apple about malware, and it just isn't happening. And this is something that we've wanted for a long time. And, and it's really like everybody, like all the major players in antivirus who are focused on Mac really want to have that open communication with Apple and it's just not happening unfortunately. Now, does this mean that XProtect protects? Well, it again in the vast majority of cases XProtect is not going to protect you from most threats, at least not as quickly as legit, you know, full-fledged antivirus software will do. So, it's very important to use antivirus software that's going to actively protect you, that's going to have frequent updates, much more frequent than the, like, once a month that Apple typically updates its signatures, and that also can protect you from other things like macroviruses and a number of other different threats that XProtect
1: just doesn't even touch. To be fair, Apple does update the XProtect and the MRT malware removal tool configuration data more often than once a month. Now, if you go to a system information app, so if you click the Apple menu, About this Mac, and then System Report, that takes you to an app called System Information. If you look in the software section and click on Installation, sort by the install date, you'll see that there was an update on the 18th of March for XProtect and MRT config data. There was an MRT update on the 9th of March. There was an XProtect update on the 4th of March. So it's not just, and here's another one on the 4th of February, it's not just once a month. They are doing it, it's not like Intego that does it when it's necessary, but they do it more often than that. Here's another one on the 26th of January. So this does happen more often than what it had in the past. In the early years, I remember people in the industry were looking out to see, ooh, there's been an X-Protect update this year because there were so few. When when this was first discovered, there were, what, three signatures initially, and then it took a long time. And Apple is doing this a little bit more quickly now. Yeah, that's fair. The last that I was really
2: actively monitoring how often Apple was releasing X-Protect signature updates, it was about about once a month usually. And, and yeah, sometimes they do now do it more frequently than that. Again, it's usually... Reactionary. That is, the malware is already out there. It's already spreading. It's not being detected by X-Protect until after Apple has basically shut it down. Because what they'll do is, if it's signed malware, which almost always it's signed, then Apple will ban that developer's signature. And they will also add signatures to X-Protect. But by that point, there's already who knows how many thousands of people maybe that got infected by that malware. So it's usually kind of a too little, too late thing once Apple adds its signatures, which is another big problem. And another reason why you might want active protection from a company that is actually
1: focused on protecting Mac users. Okay. In other urgent updates, Google issued an urgent Chrome update for an actively exploited zero-day vulnerability. That's right. Yeah, this was just last Friday. And over the weekend, there
2: were also patches for Chromium-based browsers. So Google Chrome is Google's browser, and they have an an open-source Chromium engine that other companies can use as the basis for their own browsers. Like Microsoft Edge. Exactly. Which which is one that, that you and I have used since we kind of moved away from Chrome due to various things, privacy and uh, and system stability and other things. Also, Brave is another popular privacy-focused browser on the Mac. And other browsers are based on Chromium as well. And so the other browsers based on Chromium also were updated over the weekend. So that's the actively exploited vulnerability. So that's been fixed as long as you've got a newer version of Chrome or one of these other browsers released since Friday or Saturday. However, now Chrome, the mainstream version of Chrome, and soon the other Chromium-based browsers, probably by the time you're listening to this, are up to Chrome version 100 which is kind of interesting. And it'll be interesting also to see whether there's any compatibility issues with how websites are handling Chrome, because if if they're specifically looking for Chrome version 90 something.
1: Ah, a two digit version number. Yes. Okay.
2: <laughs> they might have a problem with Chrome 100. I haven't seen that yet. Uh, it hasn't been a problem yet, but it is something that could possibly happen. I don't foresee that being a big issue, but Chrome 100 and also, you know, these other browsers that are based on Chromium have a number of other vulnerabilities, not actively exploited zero day vulnerabilities, but um, there are some pretty high severity vulnerabilities that have just been patched. So make sure to watch for updates to Edge, Brave and other browsers as well.
1: Okay. You said that we're both using Edge and I just launched Edge to see if it's up to date. And Well, I had to find where to check for updates, which wasn't that easy. You go in the Help menu, and it's checking for updates, but it's just spinning. So I don't even know if it's up to date. I have a version number, but I don't know what the date of this is. The other thing that you can do in Chromium-based browsers is you can go to,
2: if you've got the app open, then the menu right next to the Apple menu in the top left corner is named after the application. So in this case, I'm using Microsoft Edge right now, so I'll go to the first menu item under that menu, which is about Microsoft Edge. And that will also bring up the page that will give you the the Chrome or Chromium build number. In my case, I'm, I'm actually
1: using Canary, so I've got a version that's even later than 100. Mine says it's a version 92 dot something, and there's nothing about automatic updates, so that means it never updates itself. Oh, wow, yeah, no, that's very old. <laughs> and it's checking for updates, but it it's just spinning. So I guess if you are using Edge, since there doesn't seem to be an automatic update option, you should download... A new version because it looks like the latest version seems to be a ninety nine point something, which can, contains a fix for this particular vulnerability in Chrome. The zero day, exactly. I'm, I'm very surprised it doesn't have an automatic update feature, and I never really paid attention to that.
2: That's interesting. I, I wonder if there's a setting that maybe is disabled or something like that. Again, I'm, I'm using Edge Canary, so I, I'm using like the kind of developer bleeding edge version of it because I'm living dangerously. I don't know. <laughs> um, so I, w- with mine, I do have to, to restart the browser every so often. It'll give you kind of a little notification. Usually in the kind of top right corner, there's like an ellipsis. Um, and then you'll have a little, uh, arrow that the
1: color will change depending on how urgently they think you need to update. Okay. I just found out what's going on. I do have a subscription to office 365, but because the updates were such a hassle, I downloaded the Mac App Store versions of all those apps. So I got rid of Microsoft Auto Update. And I found an article that says, this is back in March 2021, that Microsoft announced it will move its Edge browser on Mac off Microsoft Auto Update because users have found it confusing. So it means that I haven't had any updates to Edge because... The browser itself can't update unless it has the Microsoft auto-update software. So if you're like me, download a new version of Edge, because that means that mine is very insecure. Fortunately, I don't use it a lot. I only use it for websites where I absolutely need to use Chrome. Right. I think that downloading
2: the latest version of Edge directly from Microsoft's website and installing it that way, I think that will fix that problem for you. Okay,
1: good to know. Okay, we got a story just yesterday on Mac Rumors that Craig Federighi replied to an email from an Apple user asking why it takes so long for the auto-update function on his iPhone or iPad to work. And, you know, we're always telling people, well, Apple's just used to security update. Make sure you update immediately. And you kind of think that the auto-update function function would update your iOS device quickly. But Craig is saying, we make it available for those who explicitly seek them out in settings. So that's when we say, go to settings, software update. And then one to four weeks later, after we've received feedback on the update, we roll it out to devices with auto update enabled. So this means that there could be a security update for your iPhone actively exploited in the wild. And you may have to wait four weeks to get it if you don't proactively go check for the update. Yeah, that's kind of a big problem. <laughs> We've talked about this
2: before, how a lot of times Apple devices don't notify you very quickly when there's a, a new update. And now we have direct confirmation from somebody who is a very high-profile individual at Apple who's saying, yeah, that's intentional. Um, he doesn't exactly make it entirely clear why. But I, I, presumably the reason for this is... Because they want to make sure that there are no major issues before they start pushing out the latest update to all devices, number one. And number two, you know, they probably want to make sure that their servers aren't completely overwhelmed by having every, you know, well, half the world's population, everyone
1: who's (laughs) using Apple devices, check for updates, right? Theoretically. Okay, come on. An iPhone update is smaller than the average HD film download. So Apple's service can handle that. I don't believe that. But what Craig's thing says is after we've received feedback on the update that they're using people as beta testers. That's what it sounds like to me. Yeah, okay. So
2: the other the really big problem that I see with this is what what you pointed out that If there are vulnerabilities being patched in these updates, which nearly all iOS updates contain fixes for vulnerabilities, they may not necessarily be actively exploited in the wild, to be fair. But when there are actively exploited vulnerabilities that are being patched, then I think that's a real big problem for Apple to wait up to one to four weeks to roll out those updates to people who don't know that there's You know some in the wild vulnerability that they need to patch their devices to avoid getting you know potentially infected by what you know in some cases uh, maybe receiving a text message that's going to crash their device or 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 worse or install malware or something like that. These kind of issues where there's an actively exploited vulnerability that affects iOS, these need to be patched quickly, and it's really disappointing that Apple's not doing that at least for those really key updates.
1: Okay, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about Universal Control, this great new feature on macOS
0: Monterey that's going to change the way that I work. Protecting your online security and privacy has never been more important than it is today. Intego has been proudly protecting Mac users since 1997. And our latest Mac protection suite includes the tools you need to stay protected in 2022. Intego's Mac Premium Bundle X9 includes Virus Barrier, the world's best Mac anti-malware protection. Net Barrier for powerful inbound and outbound firewall security. Personal Backup will keep your important files safe from ransomware. And much more to help protect, secure, and organize your Mac. Best of all, it's compatible with macOS Monterey and the latest Apple Silicon Macs. Download the free trial of Mac Premium Bundle X9 from Intigo.com today. When you're ready to buy, Intego Mac Podcast listeners can get a special discount by using the link in this episode's show notes at podcast.intego.com. That's podcast.intego.com. And click on this episode to find the special discount link exclusively for Intego Mac Podcast listeners. Intego, world-class protection and utility software for Mac users, made by the Mac security experts.
1: Okay, Josh, you got a new text message scam. And I'm looking at this text message. You have a screenshot here in in the Google Doc that we're sharing. And I would never click on that link. But there's some reason that this text message might trick people. Right. This is a message that says, free message, colon,
2: your bill is paid for March. Thanks, comma, that's a comma splice, not good grammar. Here's a little gift for you, colon, and then um, a, a link now, this URL is really, really suspicious. So it's, it's a bunch of letters and a couple of numbers, dot X, Y, Z, slash, and then a bunch of lowercase and uppercase letters and numbers and such. So it's a very suspicious looking URL, but what might get people to actually tap on this link and see what is going on is that the message appears to come from your own phone number. This is something that has been going around. My son actually got one of these messages on Sunday and another relative texted the whole, you know, the family group yesterday and and let everybody know that, hey, this scam is going around. And it's probably tricking some people and making them concerned because they're like, oh, my gosh, like I got a message from my own number.
1: Does this just show up as your phone number or does it show with your actual contact information? Okay, well, first of all, for for my son, the way that it showed up, he has this thread where he's texted
2: himself, like to give himself a reminder about something or whatever it might be. So the way that it showed up for him is below all of his iMessages to himself. It says in the middle of the screen text message and then when it came in and then the contents of the message. Now, it doesn't show up as a green bubble because anything on the left side that you're receiving doesn't show up it with a colored background, like when you're sending a message, when you're sending an iMessage, it'll show up with a blue bubble. When you're sending an SMS message, it'll show up with a green bubble. But in this case, it's a message you're receiving. So you'd have to notice that there's a tiny little thing that says text message right above the date and time that that message came in. And that may not be obvious to everybody. And you might be wondering, okay, well, so why would I be scammed by this? Because I know I'm not going to be texting myself. Why would my cellular provider be texting me from my own number? But I think that the just the fact that it's different from you from normal, right? And the fact that you would assume that only you can probably send yourself a text message. And maybe your cell provider could send you a text message from your own number? I mean, it's it's
1: slightly plausible. I think enough that enough people might actually tap on this message. So Bloomberg has an article this week saying Apple is working on a hardware subscription service for iPhones. I'll put a link in the show notes to an article I wrote in March 2019, three years ago, where I suggested this, that as Apple has been morphing into a services company, that they will probably want to get as many services together in a bundle. And We've already got the ability to buy an iPhone on the auto upgrade program when you're paying monthly, to buy Apple Care monthly included in that, or separately to buy Apple services bundled with Apple Music, Apple News, Apple Arcade, et cetera. And it kind of makes sense for Apple to put all this into one package. The idea would be, this would be a a total platform lock-in. Once you've done something like that, it would be almost impossible to switch to Android. And when you think about car companies that make nearly as much and sometimes more from their financing arms as they do from selling cars, it seems like this could be a way for Apple to get even more money out of people. If they're cutting more people off from third-party purchases and getting them through Apple's subscription service, then they're bringing in a higher percentage of users. Okay, so for me, when I saw this
2: headline, Apple's working on a hardware subscription service for iPhones, I honestly kind of thought that they already had something kind of like this. Don't don't they have some
1: sort of a of a they have like a trade-in plan, right? Well, the iPhone upgrade program is based on a 20-month payment and it lets you upgrade after 12 months. This would be basically, here's your monthly payment and you automatically upgrade at 12 months. It's not calculated over 20 months. They would bundle in everything that they want. So Apple Care and maybe different services, or they would do it 24 months in, instead of 12 months. But it would be different from the upgrade program. I'm thinking that financially accounting-wise, it would be different as well for Apple.
2: So so then what? They would send you a new phone every 12 months and then they would give you a box or something to, to uh, send your old phone yeah, back. Exactly. Okay.
1: Interesting. Yeah, exactly.
2: Um, Yeah, honestly, that doesn't sound too bad. I mean, if you're the kind of person who really likes to have the latest and greatest iPhone all the time anyway,
1: that actually kind of might make sense for some people. Well, it's not just that. It's the ability to not have to worry about buying an iPhone again in the sense that you know you're always going to be in the front of the line when the new one comes out. If you buy the Pro and not the Pro Max, you're probably going to buy the Pro next year. You know how much it's going to cost. They'll bundle everything you need with Apple Care and Apple Music and iCloud, and they'll give you the whole thing. And instead of having, I think the, the, the biggest thing for me would be instead of the complication of different subscriptions, you've just got one that covers everything.
2: Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Like you've said many, many times, it it makes a lot of sense for Apple to bundle a lot of things together. It benefits Apple, right? Like you said, it sort of like increases their lock-in, right? They're keeping people within their ecosystem if they make it even easier to stay on iPhone. So it's, it's certainly a good thing for Apple. And if you're the right kind of person who has a bunch of Apple services that you want bundled, you always want to have the latest iPhone, getting all that bundled together sounds like a, it could be a good deal for a lot of people, I think.
1: Okay, this week on the Intego Mac Security blog, we have an article I've written how to set up and use universal control with macOS Monterey. Now, I don't know if you tried universal control yet, Josh, but this is the bee's knees. I remember last June when Craig Federighi demonstrated this at Apple's WWDC, where they were doing a preview of Monterey. And immediately, I thought this was very cool. What universal control does is it lets you control from one Mac, other devices, an iPad or another Mac, using the same keyboard and mouse or trackpad. Now, that may not sound like a lot, but anyone who's been using computers for a long time may have had the situation where they've been trying to control two computers and they have to use what's called a KVM device to connect the mouse and the keyboard, and then which connects to each computer. Or you use a VNC server, which is a kind of virtual server. And this is like... You put your iPad next to your Mac, you click a button, you check something in the menu, and boom, you're controlling your iPad from the keyboard of your Mac. You can copy and paste items, you can drag and drop items, not as much from iPad to Mac and back, but if you're using two Macs, you can do that really easily. It's incredibly smooth. Now, it's currently in beta. I had a couple of glitches when I tried this out, but it's a really interesting way if you're using two devices. And again, it could be Mac and iPad, or it could be two Macs.
2: Okay. Now there's a couple of things you mentioned there, like being able to copy from one device and paste on another. Those kind of features actually did already pre-exist, right? Right. What they
1: call the universal clipboard.
2: Yeah, exactly. So, so this makes it even more seamless just being able to, for example, you know, move your mouse so that your cursor is now on the other
1: screen and now you're controlling that device. Exactly. And you can add up to three devices. So if you look in the screenshots in my article, you'll see that you can have devices on either side of the, main display, you can also put one below. Unfortunately, you can't put one above. So I was able to set up my iMac, my MacBook Air, and my two iPads and have all of them controlled like some you know, evil genius from one keyboard and one trackpad. It was actually kind of impressive. That's actually really cool. I, I, I like the idea of that. Now, one, one thing that
2: I, I think is worth pointing out is that Apple has something called Sidecar. What are the differences
1: between universal control and Sidecar? Well, Sidecar is a cocktail that has brandy, uh, triple sec, and lemon juice, usually in a three to one ratio. Okay, okay. Wonderful cocktail. It's sort of the template for a margarita, but that's another story. Sidecar is a way that you can, if you hover your cursor over the green button on an app window, you'll have the option to move that window to an iPad. You're, you're moving the Mac's window to the iPad, and you're able to do some stuff with it, but it's not really controlling. It's basically just using the iPad as a second display for a single window. But you're limited to that window. I mean, it's clunky. If you need to have one window from your Mac in a separate display, you can do that. What I find interesting with universal control, an example I give in the article is... Let's say you need to follow a certain social media channel all day long as part of your job. Why not set it up on an iPad next to your Mac so it's always visible? So when you're working on your Mac, you don't have to see it. And you just move your cursor down to that window when you need to reply or retweet or like or do something like that. Okay, Yeah, that that kind of makes
2: sense. So it I I think there are some use case similarities between sidecar and universal control. I guess it depends on where you want that that secondary app, you know, if you in your example, you could potentially have um uh, an an iOS or iPadOS app that's running on that second device or you could if you're extending your display with Sidecar, then you could actually have a Mac app that
1: has a window showing up on your iPad. Exactly, that's exactly it. Now, my use case is pretty basic. I have a MacBook Air that I use mostly as a test machine and I have a user account set up which doesn't have a lot of stuff in it. So when I'm writing and doing screenshots or when I'm doing screencasts, I work off of that and then do my actual writing and editing on my iMac. There's always a little bit of a hassle to move things around. I've got to turn to go on to the other one. And this way, I can work just by turning my head on the same keyboard and trackpad. Drag items from one to the other. Instead of using airdrop, which generally works, but you've got to right-click, click Share, click AirDrop, click on the device, and then click Approve to download the item on the Mac. It's it's there's like six steps in there, whereas here it's just click and drag onto the Mac, drop it in a window, and it's there. Yeah, that's much more convenient <laughs> than AirDrop. Now, in the article, I've embedded a video of Craig Federighi demonstrating this back in June. And so he's showing, let's see, one iMac, one laptop, and one iPad. And he's showing how seamless it is to go from one to the other. It was a lot easier to do that than make a video here in my office. Apple's videos are more professional than mine anyway. But that's going to give you an idea. Now, I kind of wonder why it took so long for them to release this, because this was supposed to be in Monterey last fall. And we're now six months later, and Apple's still calling it a beta. Yeah, that is kind of
2: odd for them to be calling this a beta feature what really it sounds like to me is that they know that there were a lot of glitches when they f- were getting ready to roll it out as part of Mac OS Monterey and they, they just didn't get them all fixed in time. And then they were like, okay, well we can't really launch this feature yet. So I kind of get them waiting until a later version of Monterey. But for them to still be calling it a beta, that's kind of surprising
1: because you would think that they would have all of the kinks worked out by now, right? Yeah, I've seen some glitches, as I said, and I've looked at some articles by other people who've written about this, and they're seeing glitches too. My guess is that this is actually kind of complicated and that it's just taking them time, but they didn't want to wait much longer to release it. Because if they wait till June, let's say, that's already WWDC when they're presenting the next version of macOS, and that would be too late. But it is, it is, it was a marquee feature for Monterey. It is a very cool feature for those who need it. And remember, sidecar is three parts brandy, two parts triple second, one part lemon juice. And I will leave you with that. Until next week,
0: Josh, stay secure. <laughs> All right. Stay secure. Thanks for listening to the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, with your host, Kirk McElhern and Josh Long. To get every weekly episode, be sure to follow us in Apple Podcasts or subscribe in your favorite podcast app. And if you can, leave a rating, a like, or a review.